What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. This is episode 192. We are doing more season previews here. Of course, Fridays are the episodes that me and Cody each do about five-ish teams. Talk about him, uh, you know, just like we would on a season preview. Talk about their year last year. Uh, talk about the players they're losing, whether it's the graduation or transfer or moving or whatever. Then we talk about the key players to look out for for this year for those teams. And then we go ahead and predict the record, give them a window of wins, a.k.a. we talk about how many wins we kind of suspect them to be in the range of for this upcoming 2022 Colorado high school football season. So there you go. Uh, go ahead and check out Cody's live stream from last night. Should be getting posted to YouTube and eventually on Anchor and all that where you can listen to all podcasts here soon. But just remember to listen to that. He did break down a couple of teams there. And he will break down a couple of teams here in the second half of this episode. Without further ado though, let's go ahead and talk about the first team here in this Foothills League. Bennett. High school, they're a 1A team last year, went 4-5 and five in the regular season, lost in the first round of the playoffs. Here's how their season went, started the season with a loss to Highland, 26-6, uh, Buena Vista, 35-7, lost to Lyman, 46-0, uh, Strasburg, 42-0, then they beat Clear Creek, 40, uh, 48-6, Manual 46-8, Jefferson 27-6, then lost a very close one to Platte Canyon 18-16, and then beat Sheridan 2-0. Went on, lost to Lyman in the playoffs 45-0. Obviously, Lyman went on to go to state. Now, some graduating seniors they are losing is Jack uh, Faxak, I want to say. He rushed for 288 yards and a touchdown. Was the second leading rusher. Also had 30 tackles on defense. They're also losing Austin Driggs. The 6-3 defensive end had 32 tackles and 7 tackles for loss. And then last but not least here, they're losing Colin Petrie. This middle linebacker had 30 tackles for this Bennett squad. Altogether, they're only losing 5 of their top 11 tacklers, which isn't too bad. You're returning a solid amount of your core from the defense. Now, offensively, you know, they are returning a little bit more here. Starting with their quarterback, Carson Hawkins. Last year, started at quarterback and played defense uh, and just was one of the top athletes for this team as a junior. He passed for 242 yards and a touchdown to 7 picks, though, which is a lot. But he also rushed for 271 yards and 8 touchdowns. Then on defense, he had 39 tackles. Honestly, going into this next year, look for him to continue to get better and to lead this offense. Uh, right beside him, you also have Isaac Copeland. He was the lead rusher as a junior, going for 328 yards and four touchdowns. Was also the second leading tackler with 39. Going into his senior year, he should also get better, return a lot of experience, be more productive. There you go. And last but not least, you have James Newton. As a junior, he led the team in tackles with 50. With him returning, you could see him step up as uh, another leader of this team, especially on the defensive side of the ball that will be returning a couple players just like James here. So there you go. Those are the key players to look out for going into this 2022 season. Let's talk about this upcoming season here. So to start the season, they play Wild Central. Honestly, I think this is a team they could beat. Should be able to handle them. This uh, Wild Central squad has struggled and lost quite a bit. And, and, and 
lost both games and players and so this Bennett team has more experience and I think experience should reign in this one so that's a dub but then they play Sterling and now Sterling they're not the same Sterling team they were from a couple years ago that were contenders. In fact, even this year they are losing, or I guess it's last year, they are losing quite a bit of players. But they are returning some key players, including the running back Nathaniel White. And I think they should be able to take care of Bennett here. This will be a challenge for the defense, and so we'll see if they could step up. But for now, I'm going to go ahead and give the dub to Sterling here. After that, it doesn't get easier. They play Banning Lewis Academy despite them losing their quarterback, which is basically one of the only players they are losing. Uh, they are returning a dominant defense along with a very dominant running game that has multiple backs who could carry and win them a game. Banning Lewis Academy, in my opinion, is not only a playoff team, but they're a potential dark horse contender, and so I don't think this Bennett team can beat them the defense will have to be on their toes and they're gonna have to do everything they can to stop this offense first and foremost but even on top of that banning lewis they have some size on that front lines there and so they're gonna make it difficult for bennett to run the ball here which i feel like is what they really relied on last year so there you go after that they play strasburg this is a rivalry game but Strasburg is loaded at the skills position. Their biggest question will be their line. And so if Bennett could get some pressure on them, then, you know, maybe they can make it tougher for Strasburg. But Strasburg, I think if worse comes to worse, I think they could still outshoot them. And so I'm going to give this one to Strasburg here. Then things get a little bit easier. They play Prospect Ridge Academy, uh, which... You know, they're losing a lot. And so this will be a good opportunity for this experienced crew to collect a dub. Also, go ahead and gain some confidence here, which will be good. But then they played two pretty good playoff teams here. Uh, well, not just playoff teams, but two-way playoff teams in uh, Devlin and Platte Valley. I don't think they get those dubs there. I mean, both of those teams are returning some uh, key players on the offense that showed, you know, pretty good flashes of success on the two-way level and so and they're only going to build on top of that and so i just think those are going to be very difficult games to win there then they play valley i think this could be a closer game valley is bringing back a young core though that had a lot of flashes of success last year uh, as an offense and so i'm giving them the slight edge here could be a close one though this might be a toss-up game honestly after that, they play Wellington. They're a new program in 2A. Like I said, I'm probably never going to pick an established program against a... Or sorry, not an... I'm never going to pick a program that's not established against an established program. And so I'm going to give Bennett the dub here. I think they should win, if not just for their experience. But you never know, this Wellington team could gel, and they might have a lot of talent. Uh, it's just one of those things where I gotta see Wellington a little bit more here. But for now, I'm gonna give this one to Bennett. Altogether, my predicted record for Bennett High School is 3-6 with a window of wins between 2-4. and four. Look, this Bennett team struggled last year, and going into this year, they are playing a pretty significantly tougher schedule. Uh, scheduled a lot of two-way teams. 
you know, which isn't a bad thing, but two of these two A teams are definitely playoff teams, if not contenders. And so that's going to be real difficult. Um, on top of that, you know, you have two other uh, two A teams outside of those that, you know, aren't going to be slouches. Sterling, they have a history. They have a program that is established. They're not going to be easy to beat by any means, you know. Then you have Wellington. They have a very good talent pool around there. You know, that I, I predicted it as a dub, but that might be a game they might lose. And so that's why my window of wins for Bennett is anywhere between two and four. And so we'll see. It'll be interesting to see whether they could pick it up here. And, you know, maybe playing some of these tougher 2A teams will make them stronger. And maybe they could gain a couple more dubs here. But we will see about Bennett. Alright, up next we're going to talk about Clear Creek. This might be a quicker segment. You'll see why here soon. Last year they went 2-6. and six, uh, Lost to Middle Park 16-0. Florence 71-0. Arvada 47-6 to start the season. But then they beat Sheridan 52-6. After that, lost to Bennett 48-6. Platte Canyon 22-0. Manual 48-2. Then they ended the season with a dub over Jefferson 32-7. Uh, I would talk about graduating seniors, but they barely have any stats recorded, which makes things very difficult, and I couldn't find much information on them, and so that's tough. Put in your stats, helps us out, helps the media out, helps colleges out, you know, if they're looking at your players, which some are, but they, they can't if you don't put anything in, and so that helps, that hurts the narrative for sure. I do know they are losing a guy uh, in Michael Hillman. Looks like he was an athlete at quarterback who they kind of ran the ball with and passed it with. So there you go. That's a loss. But can't really talk about key players because, like I said, there's really no stats here for Clear Creek. So let's go ahead and predict the record here um, moving forward. Um, most of these predictions, I'm just seeing who they played last year, how that went, seeing who their opponents from this year played last year, and then I'm kind of just cross-checking and being like, hey, if this team beat this team, then they should be good enough to beat this team type of deal. So there you go. Uh, to start the season, they play Sheridan. This was the team they blew out 52-6 to last year. May not be as big of a blowout this year, considering who they're losing, but I think, still think they should beat them. After that, they play Ellicott. Ellicott is a team that has not played football in, like, three years. They haven't played a full season in, like, three years. And so I think, regardless of who's on this team, they should be able to beat them if this is an established program. So there you go. Then they play the Pinnacle. And, look... The Pinnacle was a team that got blown out by Jefferson last year, who, you know, Clear Creek beat uh, last year. Jefferson, that was. And so, by that, you know, logic, I have them, or sorry, I have them beating the Pinnacle, the, pin the Pinnacle losing to Clear Creek here. Then they play Roaring Fork, Strasburg, Platte Canyon. I'm going to predict all of these as losses here. Uh, I just think those teams are better they have a lot more established talent they're returning a lot of players and so they're going to be able to do their thing there then they play jefferson again this year i think they should beat him i think they should be able to beat him so there you go there and then they play denver christian this denver christian team they were an eight-man team that did not win a game last year but now they're moving up to 1a and so i think clear creek should be able to beat that team so there you go 
But after that, to end the season, they play Middle Park. I think this is a loss. Maybe a closer game than last year, but they are losing Emery. Um, Middle Park, that is. We had an excellent game against them in a close one. So, yeah. We'll see what happens, but I think I'm going to give Middle Park the slight edge here. So, there you go. All together, my predicted record for Clear Creek is 4-5 and five with a window of wins anywhere between 2 and 4. Like I said, a lot of this was just me comparing schedules here, you know, comparing opponents and whatnot. It'd be a lot easier to be able to look at key players, you know, players who uh, stood out, but they don't have stats or films. So that's pretty tough. So there you go. That's Clear Creek. Let's move on, though. Let's talk about Jefferson High School here. Last year, 1, 2, and 6. Here's how their season went. Lost to Alameda in a close one, 14 to 12. Then beat the Pinnacle 40 to 0. Then after that, went on a little bit of a losing streak here, losing to Flatirons Academy 46-7, Denver West 48-2, Platte Canyon 43-13, Bennett 27-6. Then they beat Sheridan 56-0. Then lost to or sorry, lost to Clear Creek to end the season 32-7. Here are some graduating seniors for this team. They are losing some significant players, uh, including Richie Salas. Got the start at quarterback and was used a lot more as a scrambler. I mean, he did throw for 190 yards and five touchdowns to two picks, which is okay. But he rushed for 520 yards and five touchdowns. That was a big contribution by him there. Also had 45 tackles and six TFLs. Was the second lead tackler for this team. So definitely a good athlete for this Jefferson team who will be missed. Then they're also losing Yam Bumba. Uh, he rushed for 371 yards and five touchdowns. Also had 74 tackles on defense. Was the lead tackler for this team here. So those are really the main two guys that Jefferson are losing. Altogether, they're only losing five of their top 11 tacklers. But it does include those top two at the top of that list. And so leadership is going to have to be replaced on this defense and on this offense as well. Now some key players to look out for, I got two, starting with Sebastian Torres Meja at middle linebacker, he had 19 tackles and a sack as a sophomore. Look for him to continue to develop and lead this defense, or be one of the leaders of this defense as a junior. Then you have Jose De La Garza at middle linebacker, this junior had 20 tackles and 4 TFLs as one of the top tackle leaders. Should be another guy to look at as a leader going into next season and help shore up this defense that is returning some guys. Now here's their predicted record, uh, or here's what I'm going to predict for this 2022 season. Starting with this manual game, I think this is going to be a loss despite them losing uh, their starting quarterback from last year, Jewel Cameron. This manual team should be able to defeat Jefferson. Then they play Banning Lewis Academy, Flatirons Academy. Both of those teams are playoff teams, and I don't think uh, this Jefferson team is quite there yet. And so I'm predicting those as losses. Then they play Sheridan, should be a dub. Uh, this team lost to the Pinnacle last year, who, you know, Jefferson blew out uh, last year. They blew out the Pinnacle. So they should be able to beat Sheridan here, honestly. After that, they play Platte Canyon. Uh, this is probably going to be a loss. This was a 53-13 blowout last year. And David Fouts, the backup quarterback for Platte Canyon, uh, did even 
I mean, he came into this game and he had a hat trick scoring one passing touchdown, two rushing touchdowns on the ground. Fouts will be returning as the starting quarterback for Platte Canyon this year, which we'll talk about Platte Canyon later on in this episode. And so I think he should be able to find some similar success against this Jefferson team. So there you go. After that, they play Middle Park. I think this is going to be a loss. This Middle Park team may be losing some of their core, but they have a star in Xavier Martinez who could really carry on the load from last year, at least offensively. Then defensively, Middle Park is bringing back enough where they should be just as good, if not better, than this Jefferson defense. So, you know, there you go. Then they play Clear Creek. I think this is a loss. Uh, they actually lost to them 32-7 last year in a game where they lost three of the forced four fumbles um uh clear creek forcing four of those fumbles and recovering three of those and that was against the seniors of this jefferson team last year and so with this team losing that experience that fumbled even then honestly it's kind of hard to imagine this younger core could fare much better but you never know you know but for now i'm still going to give clear creek the edge then they play strasburg another playoff team like i said jefferson isn't quite there should be a loss for jefferson then they end the season against Denver Christian. Should be a dub against an eight-man team that did not win a game last year. So, yeah. Altogether, my predicted record for Jefferson High School is 2-7 with a window of wins anywhere between 1 and 3. Look, this team struggled to replace the... They're going to struggle to replace their offense from last year. But they are returning, uh, you know, some guys on defense, including uh, two middle linebackers who should earn them a couple wins, though. Despite that, offensively, they got some work to do. They got to replace a lot of production, and they're playing some tougher teams here, you know, who have offensive firepower. And so if they can at least match those teams or come close to matching them in offensive firepower, it's going to be a tough season for Jefferson. So there you go there. On next, we're going to talk about Manual High School. Last year, won 5-3, but missed the playoffs. They were, in my opinion, a little bit of a playoff snub here, which was kind of tough for them. But here's how their season went. Started the season with a loss to Denver West, 48-6, but beat Prospect Ridge Academy, 32-26, then lost to Kent Denver, a 2A team, uh, 20-6. Then after that bounce back, Beat Banning Lewis Academy, and this was Banning Lewis's uh, homecoming, I think. But they beat him 34-25, a little bit of an ups up there. Lost to Bennett 46-8, beat Sheridan 34-0, beat Clear Creek 48-2, beat Platte Canyon 28-16. So there you go. Now let's talk about some of the graduating seniors slash players they're losing because they are losing some significant ones, starting with their quarterback from last year, Jewel Cameron. Threw for 893 yards, 9 touchdowns, and 10 picks, while rushing for 694 yards and 6 touchdowns. A lot of production there on offense. He was the focal point for this offense throughout the season. Against some of these, uh, you know, tougher Well, against pretty much all the teams they faced when they came, they really leaned on him both as a rusher and a passer, and so that's a really tough loss there. Then you have Elijah Josiah. He was the second lead receiver for this team with 359 yards, three touchdowns. Also racked up 58 tackles at linebacker, so that's tough to lose. And they're also losing Tommy Mack. He was the third receiver with 284 yards, three touchdowns on seven receptions, by the way. And on defense, he had 17 tackles and two picks. Altogether, 
this manual team is losing four of their top 11 tacklers so not a lot most of those guys i just talked about just now there but they are losing at least two linemen though in garrett clayton and joaquin rojas which will be really tough to replace so there you go now they do have some key players they should be able to lean on going into the season so that you know they don't go winless and whatnot starting with jameer wyatt he was the second lead rusher for this team but he only had 29 carries still though on 29 carries rushed for 228 yards and two touchdowns he was also one of the lead tacklers with 36 tackles and four sacks being the sack leader and so going to this year he should be one of the best athletes for this manual squad if he could go for 228 yards and two touchdowns on 29 carries imagine what he could do with 100 plus so there you go there then you have diamante maynard he had 12 receptions for 371 yards and six touchdowns as the lead receiver as a sophomore here he also had 31 tackles and five picks from his linebacker spot he is another great two-way player returning for this team for this team will only be a junior should still be able to contribute even without his quarterback and be an impact player so there you go then last but not least you have Deshaun Long racked up 53 tackles and two sacks as a junior going into the senior season should be another leader for this squad also he will be returning some experience for this defense so manual still got some stars here uh even some guys who should break out going into this next year so let's go ahead and talk about this 2022 season starting with jefferson i think this is a dub um look <laughs> i'm looking at white and menard or menard maynard here i think they should both be able to take care of jefferson along with the rest of this team obviously but I just don't think Jefferson has the firepower that Wyatt and Maynard here brings to this offense. After that, they played Denver West. Last year, it was really interesting. They actually played them without Joel Cameron. And they got blown out. And so that's not a great indicator going to this year, considering they're going to be starting a younger quarterback and all that stuff. And Denver West, they are returning a lot of players as well that were a part of last year's win. So I'm going to predict this one as a loss. Then they play La Hunta. This is going to be a really tough two-way team here. Luke Garner and Jeremiah Martinez are some of the best, uh, one of the best backfields in the entire state. And so I think this one's going to be a loss. That's a tough team to be playing. Then they play Grand Valley. I think this is going to be a loss. Grand Valley, they are returning a dual threat quarterback who did his thing last year, found a lot of success. I expect him to take a step moving forward. And so if, you know, they get into a shootout, that might be a tough game for Manuel to win. So th this is definitely a winnable game, though. But I'm going to predict this one as a loss um, and a win for Grandview as of right now. Then they play Sheridan, should be able to take care of business here and beat them. Then after that, they pull Flatirons Academy, and this Flatirons Academy team, they're going to have another explosive backfield. And so, this is going to be a team that, you know, they're going to try to run you at the park here. They're going to try to outscore you. Now, Manuel, they do have some players here who could help match that, but I think having an established quarterback would have went a long way. And so, could potentially be a close one, but I have Flatirons Academy winning this one. So, there you go. After that, they play SS Park. These two teams are in similar spots, losing their quarterback from last year. But SS Park, they really relied on the pass. 
I mean, they have been relying on the pass. They run the spread out there. And so I'm going to go ahead and give... Uh, I'm going to give Manuel this dub here because they do have a running back here in Jameer White in Jameer Wyatt who should be able to take care of Estes Park and do his thing. Plus, I trust this Manuel defense to go ahead and beat an Estes Park team. I will not be having an experienced quarterback there throwing the ball. After that, they get the pinnacle. I think this should be a dub here. This is the same team that lost to Jefferson 40-0, so there you go. Then they get Highland. I think they could actually beat Highland. This Highland team, they're losing a lot. You know, they're losing a lot. And so if Jameer Wyatt has a good day against this team and they're able to control the pace of this game, plus the manual defense plays well, which I think they can, this could be a dub for manual. Because like I said, Highland, they're going to be playing a lot of younger players, inexperienced players. I trust this, ex this more experienced manual team to go ahead and beat them. Altogether, my predicted record for Manuel is 5-4 and four, with the window of wins anywhere between 3 and 5. Look, this team may be losing some key athletes, but they still have some pretty good athletes over there playing both ways. Especially on defense, I think their defense could win them some games here along with their offensive stars. They'll also have a rushing attack which should be enough to beat some of these defenses that are lacking. There are questions at quarterback, though, which is why I don't have them winning, you know, a ton of games here more than last year. And so I just really want to see what this quarterback does going into this year. And, you know, maybe he changes my mind. And But for now, I'm predicting with what I got, with what Manuel has established right now, which is a couple very good players. So there you go here. All right, now moving on. We got Platt Cannon here. Last year, won five and four. Beat Del Norte to start the season 18-0, then lost to Flatirons and Highland. Lost to Flatirons 27-0, Highland 42-6. Uh, lost to Mount, uh, Monte Vista as well 28-6. Then bounced back, went on a little bit of a winning streak. Beat Sheridan 56, uh, beat a team, excuse me, beat Jefferson 53-13. Beat Clear Creek 22-0, beat Bennett in a close one 18-16. Then lost a relatively close one to Manuel. 28-16 did not make the playoffs. Now, here's some graduating seniors they have here. They have Alan Hardy. He was the lead rusher with 719 rushing yards, five touchdowns. Also had 73 tackles and two sacks on defense. Great two-way player to be losing. They're also losing Jacob Romero. He, had, he was the second leading rusher for this team, and he had 602 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. Was also the lead receiver with 165 yards and then touchdown and had 42 tackles on defense. Then last but not least, you have Ben Hatz. He was a sack leader with six. Also was third in tackles with 75 from his defensive end position. Altogether, Platte Canyon is only losing four of their top 11 tacklers, but they are losing their two uh, running backs who they leaned on heavily last year. Now, they do have some key players returning, including David Fouts. used the lead passer for this team with 360 yards and two touchdowns to two picks. Very inefficient, though, with below 40% uh, passing, though. He did rush for 227 yards and five touchdowns. And then on defense, snagged 20 tackles and two picks. If he could be a more efficient passer and take a step forward, then this offense can really get going here. If he could take a step forward, that would go a long way for this offense. Then you have Sam Patterson. 
he should be the lead rusher going into this next season. Uh, as last year, as the third guy in the rotation as a sophomore, he went for 315 yards and three touchdowns. That's pretty good here. He should be the guy moving forward as a junior. If he could do that with the carries he got, you know, expect a little bit more here. I'm really excited for Sam Patterson. Then you have Cameron Skoog. Hopefully I'm saying that right. If I'm not, excuse me there. But he was an absolute stud at middle linebacker as a sophomore last year. He had 83 tackles and two and a half sacks. Obviously look for him to come back, be a big time leader for this team, and also be more productive for this team that is returning a lot on defense defense might be one of the stronger suits of this team so there you go now let me go ahead and predict the record they just recently added the rest of their games to their schedule here so they have nine games scheduled so let's go down the line here starting with center i think they should beat them this could potentially be a shootout between the two quarterbacks here who did get experience from last year but I'm going to give it to Platt Canyon, who should have the stronger defense, so that should give them the advantage here. Then they play Flatirons Academy. I think this one's going to be a loss. The duo of Nolan Shepard and Devin Glowicki had a field day on this defense last year. Now, it may not be the blowout it was last year, but it should be a closer game. But this backfield will be very difficult for them to stop, and so... We'll see. If they want to win this game, they got to limit Shepard and Glowicki. So there you go. Then they play Sheridan. Should be a dub. They should be able to take care of business here. Um, I mean, their starters for this year were backups last year. And they found success against that Sheridan team. Nothing should change this year. Same with the Pinnacle. That's another team they should honestly be able to take care of business against. So there you go. Then you got Clear Creek. There isn't a lot to go off of Clear Creek, but this Platte Canyon team has enough established players on defense to take out a team who is losing their offensive core. So there you go. Then they get Denver Christian, another take care of business game here. Like I said, eight-man team moving up to 1A, but they didn't win a game as an eight-man team, so there you go. Then they get Middle Park here. I think it should be a dub. Middle Park is losing some key pieces of their offense from last year. Although they are returning some guys on defense, I still think this Platte Canyon team should be able to both outshoot them offensively if it comes down to it, and then get plenty of stops defensively if it comes down to it to win. Regardless, I think they're going to win. Then they play Strasburg. I don't quite think uh, this Platte Canyon team is on the level of Strasburg as far as offensive firepower goes and so i think it's gonna be a loss here but we'll see you know altogether though my predicted record for Platte canyon is seven and two on the season with a window of wins anywhere between five and seven look this will probably be their set schedule for the season and so this team should be solid with the offensive core they are returning for this year that showed plenty of flashes last year playing as backups. So now that they're the guys, I expect them to take a pretty significant step forward and do their thing. While the defense could be tough considering how young they were and how experienced they will be this year, I think that defense will be tough. So there you go. Now the center and middle park games are two games that may be closer, which may result in them losing. But I'm not that worried. I still favor them. Then if Platte Canyon could pull off an upset dub against either a Flatirons Academy or Strasburg, that could really put the 1A level on notice. But for now, we will see. I think this is a team that should be able to make the playoffs if they go 7-2.
by the way, so there you go. Alright, now I have one last team to talk about, but this is going to be a really short one. It is Sheridan High School. Last year, did not win a game, went 0-8. Lost to the Pinnacle, 32-6. Prospect Ridge Academy, 64-0. Clear Creek, 52-6. Black Canyon, 56 Rocky Ford, 57-6. Manual, 34-0. Jefferson, 56-0. Bennett, 2-0. Uh, don't have any stats recorded, don't have any film recorded, so I can't talk about graduating seniors or key players. And honestly, just predicting the record, I don't think they're going to win a game this year. Look, this is uh, this is going to be a tough season for them. I have heard rumors they are getting a transferring quarterback, but as of right now, they are just rumors. Um, this quarterback is supposedly really good, played on the two-way level, but we will see. Even then, I mean, I think he's going to have an uphill battle here. I don't know the key players he's working with or all that stuff, but, I mean, you just look at some of the teams this team lost to last year. It's against teams that maybe won one or two games, and it was against Sheridan High School, and so... Unfortunately, this is a program that kind of needs to get it together. If they could get stats or rosters put together, that'd go a long way along with film. You know, whether you're good or not, you know, it's just a good thing to get it recorded and whatnot. Just because you never know if college coaches are looking and they see a guy they really like. And so, you know, numbers and film go a long way. But uh, yeah, anyways, that's all I got to say about Sheridan. Coming up next, Cody is going to talk about his share of teams for this episode. Howdy y'all and welcome to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, this part of the episode I should say, because Coach V will be the second half of this episode with the teams he did research for, but you know, we got a interesting split for you this week and I'm very excited to tackle some of these teams in the for a Metro 2 league from last year and talk about what their schedule looks like this upcoming season, try and give them a preview based off of the returning playmakers that they have coming back, as well as, you know, factoring in last year's recap, coaching staffs, and stuff like that, and graduating seniors, seeing if they'll have that much of an impact on the team and potentially taking a step back. And then Simon will do the exact following after my six teams. So let's go ahead and just dive right into it here. And talk about the Grand Junction Tigers who narrowly escaped a winless season in the very last week of the season. You know, if if it weren't for luck or fate or scheduling prowess that landed them, you know, the only team that's probably worse than them in the last game of the season, this squad would have went 0-10. Uh, I think that the lowest point total anyone scored all season when beating Grand Junction was 19, and that was Grand Junction Central. Um, that will that score will be different this year and not in favor of the tigers but more on that later uh other than that you know i will give them kudos for handling business against gateway they did beat them handily in the last game of the season 56 to 12 but you know that is a far cry from their 2019 playoff days and so you know offensively there wasn't a lot of passing yards to go around but two seniors did rack up over 100 yards in Braden Pettyman and Peyton Brook, uh, with the former collecting two touchdowns and averaging around 18 yards per catch this past season. And, you know, defensively, the Tigers will be without their top three tacklers from last season and uh, four of their top five. Since, you know, in descending order, you had Tyler Blanco, who had 65 tackles, uh, Uzziah Chavez, who had 44 tackles and a tackle for loss. You also lose a rug-clogging monster, Deacon Taylor, who recorded three tackles for loss of his 43 total tackles. 
they all graduate. And, you know, Deacon Taylor was a six foot, 300 pound beast in the trenches who, you know, moved really well and had, ex you know, excellent strength. I'll say, you know, at that position and just out muscled a lot of guys. And that size is really hard, if not impossible to replace, uh, especially, you know, Grand Junction's not, it's not the smallest town in Colorado, but it's not a Denver metro area where, you know, you have a higher chance of landing one of those guys with the population density. So that's going to be tough. And, you know, at that fifth tackler spot, you do lose a senior in Keandre Cokes Luhan who, you know, rounded out the top five at 40 tackles, but also led this team in tackles for loss and had four forced fumbles with opportunistic ball rips and big hits. So it a handful of tough losses here for the Tigers. But someone who's going to attempt to answer that call on defense is going to be a, you know, class of 2024 athlete, Tanner Rorig, who led the team in interceptions and pass deflections last year at the safety spot and i think as a whole the pass defense has some things to look forward to since they return 10 pass deflections and 66 percent of total interceptions not to mention last year's junior landon Grossnickel and austin kerfman both notched a pair of forced fumbles so you have some guys who can force turnovers and gross nickel is a likely candidate to lead the team in forced fumbles this year especially if his team leading five sacks takes another step forward it may be a taller task since four sacks are departing via graduation so he may have to beat more double teams this upcoming season but you know despite the, the tigers losing four of their top five tacklers they will return everyone in the top 11 outside of those guys to make for a senior heavy squad with playmaking ability in the back end. Um, and then speaking of back in the backfield, the Tiger backfield was a heck of a jungle last year with six players getting more than 20 carries and only one of those guys graduating. You've heard his name before, a familiar name here. Gross Nickel had the most carries of running backs with 34, but also had a pretty tough average of three and a half yards per carry. And that was only one more than the sophomore row rig. Uh, but, you know, two juniors ran for 4.7 and 4.8 yards per carry and Dominic Carver and River Mulvey, who combined for three scores and 248 yards. It's hard to see any of these running backs get more yards if they aren't given more consistent carries. And if the offensive line is as porous this year as it was last year. Uh, lastly, you know, they are returning Isaiah Biocic who led the team in rushing and passing last year, going for 412 yards to the ground and a pair of scores, and then an additional 521 through the air, so almost got to that 1,000-yard threshold. But, you know, that sounds fine and dandy until you look at his turnovers. He threw five touchdowns, but he threw seven interceptions. And his ability to hold on to the ball, had, something's got to give here, man. You cannot fumble the ball 11 times including 10 of those going to the defense. He's got to become more situationally aware. He's got to come back stronger. And, you know, with the rest of the team only having three lost fumbles, there's going to be need to be a miracle breakthrough for these offensive players this year and a way for them to bounce back. Um, looking at their schedule this upcoming year, it's an interesting one, but I think that, you know, they start off on the road against Pueblo West. That's a loss. Then they play at home against Glenwood Springs, who you could argue is a chance to win a football game against the 3A team, but don't be fooled by the 3A classification. Glenwood Springs' offense could run circles around this Tigers offense. Uh, they just got to hope that the secondary could probably score, and that's the only way that they beat the Demons this game. 
I think that they lose a second year in a row to a Grand Junction Central team that has an answer under center before having their best shots at wins being against 5A Mountain Range on the road and against Overland at home. Uh, both these squads, I mean, look, they have a chance to win, but it doesn't mean that they're going to. Um, then in league, I see them honestly dropping all five of these. I don't know why they're in this league with Stanley Lake, Fruit of Monument, Bear Creek, Dakota Ridge, and Golden. That is one of the strongest leagues in in football, period, of Colorado football, that is. And I really just don't see them winning any of those games. I very realistically could see them going 0-10, but at most, their wow being 0-2. The best I could see Grand Junction doing is going 2-8 if they maybe beat, you know, two of the three teams in Glenwood, Mountain Range, Overland. But I really, maybe Mountain Range is their best chance at winning a game this year. So that's why their wow falls in between 0-2. The next team that I'm going to talk about from this league last year in the 4A Metro 2 is Vista Peak Prep bison varsity football here this is a program that we've kind of had our eye on they routinely produce some pretty stellar athletes whether that was our i want to say third rated offensive lineman in the senior class of 2021 or whether it was Judaris jiggy Carr, uh, who is an absolute beast and is doing his thing at princeton or whether it was this past season talking about stellar defensive athletes as well as our number one senior wide receiver. You know, they've been an awesome program to cover so far, and last year was no different. It was a very successful year for Vista Peak, who is one of the few teams to win both in the spring and in the fall season at an okay clip. Uh, I'm pretty sure they made the postseason in both seasons. They played two seasons last year, and most teams who played both seasons really struggled in the fall season, whether it was at the tail end from fatigue but they still notched impressive wins. So looking back at last year, you know, they they were either tied for or second, or tied for first or second in the league with, you know, ending the year on an impressive win on the road against Denver South 24-14, making their overall league record 4-1 and one, with their only loss coming to Aurora Central at home in a turnover-riddled game. But they did struggle surprisingly out of league. You know, they started off 3-0, which is fine and dandy, but then had a really surprising loss at home to Heritage High School for dropping a 21-0 game to Ponderosa. I believe Coach V was at that game and just said that a lot of big plays by the Vista Peak offense were called back on penalties. So that'll lose you some games. But, you know, ultimately they made the playoffs and, you know, won their last three games for that final push. And, um, you know, ended up facing uh, Pueblo West in playoffs where they made a prompt exit. But nonetheless, 7-4, and four, I think that makes for a good season. And they did so behind a very talented 22 class here that I'm going to talk about since so many of these fellas graduated. And I think that, you know, they're going to have to find new fields to grace because a lot of their weapons are on their way out. Case in point, PMC's number one senior receiver of the 2022 class was Jordan Mayfield who departs following a season that saw him average 21 yards per reception and also collect six touchdowns while leading the team in receiving and return yards, putting him over the thousand yard of scrimmage mark and having eight interception return yards on a team leading three interceptions. So Mayfield, great athlete on both sides of the ball, forcing incompletions, getting interceptions in the secondary, and also making big receiving plays. 
And, you know, those big receiving plays were the bread and butter for this squad. And wide receiver two was no stranger to them since Bryce and Torrey actually led the team in receiving scores with eight and also had over 20 yards per reception en route to 605 yards last season. He was also a monster on the defensive side of the ball, utilizing great athleticism and IQ to make plays all over the field and be one of the most versatile defenders in the state collecting 78 tackles, which was a team lead, an interception, a fumble recovery, two forced fumbles, as well as a pass deflection. On this offense, you also lose senior running back Christian Manning, who, you know, he had some big shoes to fill with Carr graduating in the spring, and he did an ad admirable job, leading the team with 954 yards, averaging 7.2 yards per carry, and breaking the century mark four times and scoring an additional five times on the ground. It helps when you have to do it you know alongside players like Tory, who also had 23 carries and ran for three touchdowns and the guy you know handing off the ball or delivering passes deep downfield for his receivers to make plays on was jordan ruiz who graduated in a season that saw him go over 2,000 yards of scrimmage and account for 22 touchdowns between his 19 in the air and the three on the ground He's a good athlete whose cannon of an arm was responsible for the big play nature of this offense, but his turnover woes would throw them out of games. I'm thinking about the Heritage game with some bad decisions. I'm thinking about the Ponderosa game with some bad decisions. And I'm thinking about all the sacks that he took in the Aurora Central game, holding onto the ball too long, fumbling the ball, throwing interceptions and whatnot there. Uh, those 13 interceptions over the course of the season would, you know, keep this team from contending deeper in the playoffs. Additionally, in the secondary, Silas Gordon was another senior who had multiple interceptions and brings to my attention that only a single interception will be returning from last season's roster out of the team's nine. Um, in addition to recording a pick, Gordon's six pass deflections were second on the team, only to fellow senior Taylon King, who recorded a whopping 11 pass deflections through 11 games. So you're losing a bunch of guys who are able to break up passes, intercept passes, and you're also losing a little bit of your pass rush here if you're the Bison since Trey Tabor, you know, led the team with seven sacks and, you know, is just one of many in this stampede of sacks on this Vista Peak prep squad that loses 86% of their sacks to graduation from last season. So between Torrey, Tabor, and third leading tackler Marquez, this defense loses 178 tackles and their top three tacklers. Overall, they experience eight of 13 double-digit tacklers moving to the next phase of their life. So who's there to try and pick up the torch and, you know, stop the bleeding more or less for this Vista Peak prep squad? I'm looking to Ezekiel Taylor. First and foremost, he led the team in forced fumbles last season. He's the only returning player to have gotten to the quarterback and was fourth on this team in total tackles last season. And, you know, I'm also looking to guys with upside. I'm looking at Nathan Hunholtz, who could be a stellar defensive end as he measures in at six foot two, 248 pounds. And, you know, as a sophomore tack tallied 32 tackles, and if he can generate a pass rush to try and fill a Tabor sized void, that would go a long way. So you have some guys who can, you know, generate some pressure, maybe get in the backfield a few times on this defense up in that front seven. The only interception making its way back to the field is Kayla Moore. And sheesh, I mean, there's just a lot of question marks. They have plenty of great athletes on the Vista Peak prep squad, which is why I still have some faith in this team to not just completely fall off the face of the earth. And I think that part of the evidence there is looking through the offense a second time makes me realize that Zeke Taylor was the third leading rusher 
last year. And so how are those carries going to be divided is definitely something that's on the Bison board this year. And, you know, how do we keep Zeke ready to make plays on both sides of the ball since he's so valuable defensively? I think that the offensive line looks like it could be phenomenal this year. Uh, as the leaders in pancake blocks from a year ago and Oscar Valdez and Jalen Payne return, and they also see two to three other sophomores who took snaps come back and make some major pathways for whoever's in the backfield. And maybe at running back, we could see Khalil Barlow. You know, I looked through his Twitter and some of his workouts, and I think that he's a athletic guy with a solid amount of burst that could maybe step up and take some snaps in the backfield this year. And I also just want to shout out that, you know, his 4.16 GPA is pretty dang impressive. So, you know, Mr. Peak Prep, they have some talent up front. They have some guys returning on defense, but I don't know if this season will be as successful as last year. But, you know, looking at this season, I think that they do start off with a win over a, another school in Aurora in Rangeview. But following that, they have a really, really tough, cascade of Brighton, Broomfield, Skyline, Vista Ridge. I really just don't see them winning any of those games, honestly. So that puts them at like a one and four start before they jump into league play here. And league play, I think that they're going to be able to hatch in some things down. I think that they'll probably get into a rhythm. They'll know what they need to do at quarterback and how that impacts their offense a lot more by this point in the season. And they just won't be in as many track meets, I don't think, you know. Broomfield, Skyline, Vista Ridge, those are all teams that could score 50 points uh, depending on the week. I don't really think that Thomas Jefferson jumps out as a team like that. That'll be a battle in the trenches that I think could be a really good game, honestly, between two teams that do have some solid talent on the offensive and defensive lines. I think that they probably lose to Ponderosa for the second year in a row, and they lose to Denver South as well before Hinkley and Far Northeast Warriors both get chalked in as dubs. So I could see a four and six record. I think their ceiling in their window of wins is at five if they're able to pull off an upset over a Ponderosa or a Brighton. But, you know, I think that more realistically, you're looking at four and six. And, you know, if Thomas Jefferson comes to play in the trenches and they outwork them in their very first year in 4A, then you could be looking at three and seven, but four and six is going to be my projected record for Vista Peak Prep this upcoming season. This next team, I really just don't have that much to say on this squad, uh, and it's going to come off a little bit harsh. I'm not even going to lie. I'm talking about the Gateway Olympians. You know, I just talked about Vista Peak Prep, who has a team who is successful both in the spring and fall season. Gateway was very successful in the spring season, you know, going all the way to the state championship in the spring and riding the hotels of a very athletic quarterback overall going five and four before losing to TJ in, in the championship. They were, you know, a little bit off, a little bit on, but ultimately they collected themselves heading down the stretch and they just got hot at the right time. And, you know, they had a very talented quarterback and they had some playmakers on offense that made that run in the spring possible. And, you know, following the adjustments that the coach made throughout the season, they decided to not go with the interim coach who stepped in right before the season started, mind you, at Gateway and instead decided to give the job to Coach Collins. Now, Coach Collins is somebody who academically I respect very, very much. I think that this Gateway team is probably going to have some of the best 
student athletes in the entire state. It is something that he does very well. It's something that he did very well on the college level and something that I think you do very well on the high school level. Now, football-wise, I know that Gateway was his old stomping grounds. I know that he produced at Gateway at some point, but I just don't know if he still has it anymore as a coach. I just don't know if he has it anymore from a football perspective because this Olympian team went 0-8 last year in contests. I'm going to go ahead and read out the scores. I'm going to go ahead and read out the scores. 32-14, to 50-6, 28-6, 47-0, 43-0, 42-0, 54-0. How do you do that in league? How do you not put up a single point against these teams that probably have their backups in in the fourth quarter? And then the cherry on top, losing to Grand Junction, 56-12. Their point differential this past year was 352 points allowed to just 38 points. They allowed more points per game at 44 than they had for the entire season scoring. Ouch. They got shut out four times. I'm hoping, I'm trying, I'm trying to give this team and this staff the benefit of the doubt that it was from fatigue, from a quick turnaround, from the spring to the fall season. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, they don't have any stats from last year, which coming from a coach that was on the college level, I find un- inexcusable. Uh, I know that there wasn't much to celebrate, but this is still a 4A program in one of the most competitive leagues. And to just lie down, not reduce turnovers, and not post meaningful stats is just sickening. I'm bewildered by Gateway's decision from a year ago, and I'm still waiting to be proven wrong. And I think that this year they're going to get wins. But I mean, this last year is just, it's not acceptable. It is not acceptable. This is restricting the growth of Colorado football. I'm literally going to go as far as to say that. And I think that this year, they're still going to lose a lot of games. I mean, they were getting the benefit of the doubt of moving to the 4A I-25 league. That is a league for teams to try and get their chickens in a coop is a nice way of saying that. And I think that it's going to be a rough start. They start off against Northridge. That's a loss. Even though it's a 3A program, that's a loss. They're going to lose to North Glen. I think that they lose to the far Northeast Warriors before they have a chance to beat Liberty and Thornton. Um, I think that they're more likely to beat Liberty than Thornton. Um, But then I think that they lose to Widefield. I think they lose to Denver South. And then they have a three-game stretch here. Well, I should say a two-game stretch between Hinckley and Palmer. Both of those are very winnable games. You know, who wants to lose more, I guess, is the biggest question for some of these schools that didn't win a single game last year. Now they're all playing each other, and hopefully it splits out so that everyone wins game. But there could be one team that doesn't beat anybody else, and it might be Gateway. I don't know. Um, I You can go and listen to Simon's takes on Liberty and Palmer and Hinkley. Um, I know Hinkley kind of loses one of their big contributors from last year, so... It's going to be, you know, still a tough year for all those teams. But I think Gateway, I'm going to put them in the window of wins of one to two. I think that they maybe beat Palmer and Liberty. But who knows what those teams are able to produce or if there's a surprise player. Look, whoever has the best player on the field is probably going to win the game. It could be one athlete. It could be one athlete that's just a hair better than everyone else in those games. And that's who's going to win that game, unfortunately. So... Best of luck to the Gateway Olympians. Please prove me wrong. It wasn't that long ago that you guys were in a state championship. 
So figure it out. Up next is a team that I think is very well put together and one of the most exciting teams in all of 4A football. And so I'm going to be talking about the Denver South Ravens last year behind one of the best quarterback to wide receivers connection in the state and a solid running game combined with an opportunistic defense the ravens bounced back after a season opening loss to mesa ridge a close one mind you uh 31 to 28 to rattle off eight consecutive wins in which they scored no lower than 34 points and also broke 50 burgers on opponents twice they then lost a surprising game to vista peak prep to close their season before avenging their first game loss to mesa ridge by winning in by winning by three in the playoffs this time where it matters most and then their run came to an alarmingly abrupt stop against the one-seeded Montrose. Now players who graduated in the class of 2022 they don't really lose much I'd say mainly on the defensive side of the ball they lose uh, Guillermo Livingston who had an interception and then the leader in sacks for the Ravens was class of 2022 defensive end Quade Hunt, who picked up five sacks last year and was ninth on the team in tackles with 33 and second on the squad in tackles for loss, getting into that double-digit tier. The only other top 11 tackler was right behind Quade in Victor Escobedo, who notched 32 tackles of his own and another five tackles for loss. And lastly, you know, it's never great to lose offensive linemen, and that is what is happening to Denver South, especially you know, when it's an All-State Honorable Mention lineman and Xavier Cardinal that was integral to this chain-moving dynamite offense. But out of everyone who recorded any form of tackle, only five graduated. Which means this Ravens defense will be the stuff of opponents' nightmares when they return 88% of their total tackles and this includes a handful of sophomores, namely headlined by linebacker Gage Kramer, who is fifth on this squad with 44 tackles and found himself in the backfield twice. And that also includes two other class of 24 guys who recorded over 20 tackles apiece. But not to be disrespected, this incoming senior class is something special and a unit that is ready to crack skulls. They returned the top four tacklers from last year in defensive tackle, Jamire Smith, 45 tackles, 6 for loss. OJ Thomas, 54 tackles. Sharif Boyland, 56 tackles. And last year's tackle slash tackle for loss leader, Jonah Burke. Jonah's speed when coming downhill cannot be easily countered, even by great linemen, as he can move with running backs laterally, uses quick hands and nice athleticism to get past blockers, and just has no quit chasing down quarterbacks or anyone with the ball in a season that saw him collect 19 tackles for loss. Not only, you know, as a defender, he's able to come off the edge, he can blitz through the middle, and but not only can he, you know, rush the passer, clog the run, and just ignite a ton of energy on this unit, but he also has great instincts as displayed when he picked off passers twice and also dove on the ball a team leading three times. Now, this is, I believe, an all-state caliber player here. This is somebody that we are going to keep an eye on when it comes to 4A Defensive Playmaker of the Year, as well as, you know, some top five lists as well. And, you know, maybe his production takes a step back. Maybe it does, because you throw doubles at him. But even if you do that, he still, A, might find a way into the backfield, and B, there's just too many other guys proficient at, you know, getting into the backfield and clogging up the run. Whether it's Smith on the interior, whether it's Braden Charles Fitz from the other edge who recorded five tackles for loss and was second on the team in three sacks, 
four sophomore Alex Van Stel, who notched four tackles for loss and three sacks of his own in only seven varsity appearances. So you project that with some, you know, growth and development as well as an entire 10 game season. And, you know, this could be a guy who could be a double digit tackle for loss guy and maybe a five to seven sack kind of guy as well. In the past defense, you know, uh, Demaje Wells paced all Ravens this past year with three interceptions and is a part of the majority of interceptions returning. So you have guys on all three levels returning. You have instinctual linebackers. You have a really stout defensive line. I think that those are all, you know, these are all qualities and athletes that are of 4A championship caliber level, I want to say, collectively as a unit. And they all played together last year for the most part. So they just have a ton of experience returning, a ton of snaps, and a ton of, you know, just understanding of each other, knowing who's going to do their job, maybe some weak points over each other's games, and they're going to be able to cover for each other a lot better. That's the beauty of returning defenses with so many players is that they just understand each other so much better and the defense as a whole will just perform better by knowledge and awareness of their teammates, maybe even more so than the opposing team scheme. But, you know, opposing teams, they're not only going to have a tough film session study week for this Ravens defense, but the offense has a dynamic trio with senior quarterback Joseph Capra, who's a two-star quarterback. He should probably be a three-star by the end of the season, if I had to guess. Wide receiver Rashad Roadrunner Caldwell, who has multiple D1 offers, D1 speed, recorded 20 yards per reception last season and 15 touchdowns. And at tailback, class of 2024 stud Chevelle Early, who eclipsed 1,000 yards and found Pater 17 times. This triple-double combo had 77 touchdowns last year, and I know that between throwing and catching that there's some overlap, but they just utilize smart decisions, big plays, and great energy to propel South to a great season where they end up finishing 9-3. and three. And so, you know, before the postseason, that was, what, 8-2, and two, which is just a very, very good year. Um, and I think that, you know, talking about the vibes of Denver South, that's something that's so intoxicating about this team is just how much fun they have in a game. And you just can't help but to root for them because you see them having so much fun and it makes you as a spectator have so much fun as well. Even if it's a team that, you know, I picked against them in the Aurora Central game, which they made me eat my word, so kudos on that. But they really made me a believer in this squad with that performance in person, just seeing the talent they had, but also just the energy that they bring to a game that was on the road for them. You know what I mean? So they just have great energy. You have a very dynamic receiver in Roadrunner Caldwell, who's going to get his stars at some point with his next level speed and footwork that he uses to lose defenders. Early is only a junior who teamed up with Capra last year for a backfield combo that scored 25 times and notched 1,700 yards. And with Capra at a, as a very fast quarterback, his speed and athletic upside is, you know, one of the best. And in addition to that, he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the entire state. He threw 33 touchdowns to just five interceptions, completed 66% of his passes on 236 attempts, and just overall between Early and Capra, the balance of this offense can go very far, not to mention everyone who caught a pass on varsity last season returns. And if Early can develop receiving skills, they could seriously be unstoppable moving the ball and also have just a vicious defense. So 
you know, this Raven squad, they're so well-rounded in so many areas that I very realistically can see them going undefeated in the regular season. The teams that could contest that begins in week one. This is a big test on the road against Skyline that has another big armed quarterback. But I think that they can win that game uh, behind a strong defense. And I think that they handily win their next two against Denver East and Longmont before another big quarterback, the quarterback challenge happens on the road as they face Giselle Riley's golden team. So that could be another shootout between two, you know, quarterback heavyweights. But you're talking at worst, if they lose to Skyline and Golden, and then, you know, they beat Cheyenne Mountain on the road, they're heading into league at three and two. And I just really don't see a team in this league that should beat Denver South. Uh, Ponderosa is maybe the biggest squad between the Ravens and a league championship. So at worst, they go seven and three. But I truly think that with the defensive experience and talent that they return, 10-0 is a safe prediction for Denver South. Uh, so that puts a window of wins or a wow of 7-10. to 10. I'm going to put my bet on 10-0 for Denver South. And I think that, you know, they go 10-0, that goes a long ways towards a run at state. Uh, if they wish to be in that conversation, that's just, you know, a buy that you're going to get in the postseason. Everyone get healthy, prepare for your next opponent. And I think that that'll go a long way for this squad that, you know, does have guys who are going to be going a thousand miles per hour every single week. So I don't mind if they do need that break to really propel themselves into a state contender conversation. Now, another team who is departing this upcoming season, but was in this 4A Metro 2 league last year, is the Centaurus Warrior Squad. This squad was, you know, they, they put together an okay season. It came in spurts who, you know, they dropped their three opening games and each one progressively got closer, you know, lost by a margin of 41 to Stanley Lake, then only lost by 16 to Silver Creek before losing only by four to a 5A Boulder squad and then beating Thornton and Denver North to try and even that up a little bit, dropped another game to Vista Peak Prep and then just kind of alternated wins and losses throughout the rest of the season, beat Gateway as they should, lost to Denver South, pretty handily beat Grand Junction and then lost to Aurora Central. So I guess when you look at it, they lost to only playoff teams with the one exception being Stambly Lake and I guess Boulder as well. Um, yeah, let's just let's just jump into it and talk about some graduating seniors. The really big ouch here for the Warriors is the fact that they lost Coleman Teasdale. He was a solid athlete on the squad last year that broke the thousand yard barrier with the season that saw him throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns, and then collect another 600 on the ground and six scores. I'm pretty sure that makes him the leading scorer from last year, and it means the loss of their most efficient runner and TD to INT-wise best passer since the returning quarterback threw more picks than TDs. And, you know, while not being as efficient, Anthony Medina, John Radney, and Marcus Torres all contributed in the backfield, with Medina averaging 100 yards per contest in four contests, and Radney and Torres contributing another 400 yards and five scores. Overall, this offense between all those guys and Teasdale loses 14 of their 22 rushing scores and 1,400 rush yards. And additionally, four of the leading five receivers also graduate as Angus Riker, Brian Serrano, and Anthony Medina each had over a thousand receiving yards, but none of their combined might was felt quite the way that Jack Downing's presence was felt after posting a team leading 644 yards on 35 catches and, you know, had six of the team's nine receiving touchdowns. Nice. 
to try and ease the losses in the past game will be incoming senior last year's junior ethan roeder who is second on the team in every major received category and additionally the warriors will arguably have the most consistency in the backfield as leading rusher and incoming junior ben mish returns following a season that saw him tote the rock 114 times for 688 yards and a few scores he will need to remain consistent and I really think that Ben has a chance to have a huge increase in production now that he doesn't have to split carries with four or five class of 2022 athletes. I think that this could be the big year for Ben and a season where we could potentially see him crush a thousand yards, maybe even sneak up to 1100 yards and maybe get double digit touchdowns. Under center returns Chance Wood, who largely outperformed Teasdale last season, throwing for more yards on less attempts uh, fairly substantially as he threw 946 yards on 85 attempts, completed an insane 68% of his passes, but does have the drawback of turning the ball over quite a bit, as I mentioned earlier. But, you know, he apparently impressed in camp this summer at Western Colorado University, both at his coaches as well as other members in the coaching staff, and provides some hope in strides to this coaching staff. In the trenches, the Warriors will be returning 230-pound interior defensive lineman Xavier Bradford-Valentine, who, you know, while contributed as a guard, was way more noticeable on defense. And, you know, watching his film, he utilizes a very low pad level. He has swim moves as well to tally a few sacks and tackles for loss in the run game. And just has a motor to make tackles downfield, you know, whether that's slant routes that come back across him or, you know, screen plays, he does fly over to those receivers and, you know, cleans up whatever's washed inside to him. So very high motor, very solid football player. I'd be surprised if he's not like 240, maybe 245 pounds heading into this season where he could be a serious problem on the interior. Additionally, they returned Renzo Washak to the offensive line and he showed you know, pretty nice flashes in a season that saw him at right tackle where he was capable of handling his particular man. I do think that he could improve his communication a little bit more to help out his guard on blitzes and the like, but that's something that can come with experience and just more communication across that front line. And so, you know, fortunately for Centaurs, they were moved to the infamous I-25 league that is shown to help or attempt to help rehabilitate struggling programs. And I think that this schedule in general is built to help Centaurus post potentially their first winning season in six years. If you look at the schedule, I think they still lose this home opener to Boulder this year. I know that Boulder graduated a lot, but I really like that Boulder defense and the talent that they have. Then they have a chance to beat Mountain Range in 5A. I'd say that that might be a coin toss just because Mountain Range is defense does return some interesting athletes but then they face monarch at home hinkley on the road palmer at home mountain view on the road liberty on the road thornton at home widefield at home or on the road i should say and gateway at home if you lose to more teams than boulder mountain view widefield and mountain range slash monarch i guess and you go less than six and four, that is a disappointment. There are a lot of cakewalks on this schedule. I think that you should be able to handle 3A Monarch personally. Hinkley didn't win a game last year. Palmer, I don't think, won a game last year. And if they did, they won one, I want to say. Uh, let me verify that real quick. 
Well, they won two, I guess, in, in the I-25 league, beating Mitchell and the bad Liberty team. Liberty being another team that Centaurus does get to face, so they should win that. Mountain View is a game that they I could potentially see them losing, especially having to uh, travel over there and play that game on the road in a hostile environment, potentially. Thornton could be a coin toss. Widefield is a game that they probably lose. Um, so <clears throat> maybe maybe they lose to Thornton and they go 5-5, five and five, but if you are going to break your streak of having a losing record or not an above 500 record for so long, this is the best schedule to get you there. But don't be surprised if you go six and four, maybe at best seven and three, and they say no to you making the playoffs. Just because this is one of the weakest schedules I've ever seen. But if it means a winning year in Lafayette, then by all means, send it. Now, I know here in the media, we're not supposed to have favorites, but I can't help but to root for this next team here and the Aurora Central Trojans and the very last team that I'm going to be talking about on this part of the episode today. And, you know, last year, they also played two seasons, but their fall season had more wins than their previous four seasons combined as they post their first winning record since 2015 behind one of the strongest rushing attacks in the state and a very physical defense that played assignment football with some big splash plays sprinkled in through their and special teams. Now, they are losing some high-impact players. I think that the biggest, most notable loss of arguably any squad in the entire state has to be them losing All-State honorable mention, aka first-team All-State snub, Marcus Howard, who led the entire state in sacks with 23, using great leverage and phenomenal wingspan to just straight up beat plenty of tackles this season, while also clogging up the run game with 26 tackles for loss out of his 78 total. And when you pop tiny QBs at Marcus's size and strength, you're natural to force plenty of fumbles, which he did four times. Offensively, he also led the team in receiving yards with 235 and can provide the Trojans with a big play nearly on command in the pass game. Now, uh, BJ Weatherford is one of two Weatherfords on this Trojan squad, but the only one graduating after being third on the team in tackles and fourth in tackles for loss with 71 and 7 respectively, while also catching eight passes this past season, including the second longest reception of 39 yards. And pass defense-wise, uh, when quarterbacks actually got a chance to throw the ball, uh, two Class of 22 players, including B.J. Weatherford, tallied two interceptions apiece. But overall, the interceptions were fairly well spread. Now, I want everyone to understand that I am still going to project a solid amount of wins for this squad, but I do not want that to take away from the fact that the players that the Trojans are losing despite it being a very short graduating seniors segment are some of the biggest impact players not only on this squad but in the state Marcus Howard has got to be one of the most overlooked prospects in Colorado in the past decade I might even say with next level size next level speed next level frame he could play you know, offense or defense, I think, on the Division One level. And he's going to do his thing at Northern Colorado. He's a reason that I can say go Bears a little bit heading into the future. But I just have to say that trying to replace this talent in both BJ as well as Marcus is going to be a Herculean effort and a team effort that the Trojans, I think, are capable of doing, but will have to do so as a team and not on an individual effort. But 
I'd say another snub for, you know, a second team All-State spot uh, since he made an All-State honorable mention was Kyrie Kirby, an athlete who is not only second on the team in receiving yards, second on the team in passing with 150 yards and a touchdown. Rounded out the top five in tackles with 53 at a cornerback position and an interception, but most impressively being the overall leading score on this team, accounting for 150 of the Trojans' 364 points since he was slash has been absolutely potent out of the backfield with a great combination of speed and size combined with big play vision. He averaged 13.4 yards per carry, which I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm almost positive that is the leader of any tailbacks with over 100 carries last year and route to a 1600 yard season and also a you know accompanying that with 19 rushing touchdowns he's easily in our sights for a spot on our top five senior running backs list he's somebody who can also catch he's very versatile in everything he does just so so gifted athletically but also understands the game of football so well he just understands his body and has great body control, but also understands that other people's bodies can't take the punishment that he can deliver if he has to lower his shoulder or their ankles can't handle the agility that he has bouncing back and forth as he has snatched plenty. And then, you know, his speed, once he hits that sideline, there's not a lot of players in this entire state that would be able to take a proper angle to catch Kyrie's Kirby heading down that sideline. And then, you know, the second fiddle in this backfield, Simeon Beasley was also impressive at tailback last year. He had just over 660 yards, seven scores, and was followed shortly by another junior tailback in Trayvon Simmons. For a team that's so heavily influenced by their run game, it is just a dream come true that their top three rushers and 2,500 plus yards come back and mark potential for another stellar season. This is even... You know, further accompanied by the fact that they return All-State Honorable Mention lineman Lorenzo Johnson and Brandon Weatherford, who return to the fold and won't have to worry about as much wear and tear following playing through two seasons last year. You know, this is a team that got banged up, maybe missed some quarters in some games or missed some games near the end from some, you know, key players, especially in that trenches on the offensive side or, you know, in the front seven on the defensive side. But I think that those will be heavily subsided this year with a true break given between this last fall where their last game against Ponderosa resulted in a 29-14 loss in the playoffs. I don't even think I mentioned that they made the playoffs. But yeah, uh, overall finished 8-3, lost to Ponderosa. That was on November 5th. And so they'll actually get, what is that? I don't know, like eight to nine months as opposed to the four-month turnaround that they got so you know i think that they will be way more durable in the trenches i think that you know defensively more people will be able to contribute on that side of the ball and it's also headlined by the fact that simeon actually led this squad in total tackles with 91 while also being second in tackles for loss to only marcus howard with 12 and will pioneer this Aurora Central squad on defense who returns seven of their top 11 tacklers, including familiar names in Brandon Weatherford, including Lorenzo Johnson, who are on the defensive line. Um, they will have to improve. They will have to take significant steps forward since a guaranteed double team target will be departing. But, you know, their seven tackles for loss this season with more one-on-ones or maybe even double teams may be a little bit harder to reach. 
Time will tell, but they might have some help off the edge still as Ja'Kai James was in the backfield to the tune of four sacks and eight tackles for loss. So, you know, I think that maybe they get some more one-on-one -on -one opportunities as opposed to maybe some free shots. But I think that they're capable of doing that. And overall, this defense is still immensely talented in this 2023 class, but also welcomes back fourth leading tackler and sophomore, Dushan Smith, who notched 71 tackles of his own this last season. Now, the last returner that I'm going to talk about is the biggest determinant on what postseason it, success the Trojans may experience. Now, this is, I'm, I'm talking about the incoming senior, Nicholas Portillo. I want to say his older brother was on this team, but not sure if they're related. Regardless, you know, at six foot two, 205 pounds, he's a solid size for a quarterback. And he was, you know, a receiver before that. Uh, you know, his freshman year, he did see varsity snaps, had eight receptions for 100 yards. Everything was hunky-dory. He was asked to play quarterback this year. And, you know, in his first season, he delivered, but with a very, very tight set of parameters to his quarterback play. And what I mean by that, I mean, you look at these stats, they look phenomenal. You know, 32 of 46, 519 yards, six touchdowns, five interceptions. That's a little close, but overall knocking on the door of 70% completion, that looks great. That all looks great from a box score perspective. Having seen him live, his limitations are very, very obvious. When they fall behind to a team that scores a lot of points, Nick is not going to break open the, the case of, of passing yards and throw this team back into a game. I haven't seen that ability, nor do I want to predict that ability. It's more like just the play action aspect of the Aurora Central offense allows Nick Portillo to get open throws to the drags, to get open throws to the flats. But overall, you know, he can be wildly inaccurate. And that is why I think most of these interceptions happen is from inaccuracy as opposed to, you know, arm strength or something like that. But also he just hasn't had really opportunities to show that arm strength slash. I don't know if he has it. There's just so much that I just don't know if he has it. It was a quick turnaround over the summer. So, you know, he could have developed quite a bit. And I think that he has to for some of these games on this schedule. And so I think that, you know, with the offensive prowess that they are returning and playmaking combined with a good line, they won't be as much of a surprise this year, but I could easily see them going 4-0 to start this season. Uh, they start off against Northfield. That's a brand new team to 3A. They should take care of business there. They should beat Hinkley. Falcon graduated a lot of talent last year, so I think they avenged last year's loss to Falcon. And then I think that they beat 5A Rangeview, another Aurora team here, before getting into a track meet on the road in Denver against the George Washington Patriots. This could be their first loss, but I think that, you know, the Aurora Central defense is better than the George Washington defense. It just depends on how the offenses interact with that. And then both have very dangerous special teams with two of the best athletes in the entire state in this game. I think I might have just booked my Saturday the 24th for watching this George Washington versus Aurora Central game. So put that in the books. Um, after that, they do start league play against Adam City. I think that that's a win. I just, I don't think that they'll be an easy out, but I don't know if they win these games against Broomfield and Fruita Monument. I'll explain why in a second, but if I pro project those as losses, as well as the GWHS Patriots, that I still think that they finished the season seven and three. 
with with wins over Heritage and Thornton. Now, the biggest concern for me is the quarterback position because in the game that I watched last year against Denver South, they just got off to a really strong start. The Ravens, that is, passed the ball, built a quick lead. And, you know, that along with a handful of really silly, costly mistakes by the Trojans. And they just aren't a team that can throw themselves back into a game or couldn't throw themselves back into a game last year. So you look at Broomfield and you look at Fruit of Monument. Both these have watch list class of 23 quarterbacks here. And then George Washington, another team that can just score at will, basically. That you know gives me a woozy feeling that I'm just not sure they can they can bridge that gap. Um, I'm also just going to put out there I'm very sad that we don't get to see a rematch against Denver South. I think that it would have been a really fun, chippy, physical game. But you know, with their window of wins, with their wow, I still think that seven is as low as they can go, and nine is as high as they can go. Uh, seven and nine, wow. But I'm going to project seven and three in a second year of the postseason for Aurora Central. Now, uh, that does it for my set of teams. Thank you so much for listening to this part of the episode. Now, make sure to stay tuned for Simon, aka Coach V's other half of the episode, talking about, once again, the same stuff. Last year's recap, graduating seniors, returning playmakers, and then the wow coming up next from Simon. Nope, we're not going to do that because I decided to go ahead and override that and put my episode, my part of the episode first, and there's just no good way to cut it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for rocking with us here on the Playmakers Corner here. Uh, We'll be covering so many more, well, not too many more teams, but a couple more teams here, 11-man football teams, before the 2022 high school football season i believe we have i believe four more episodes uh left covering some squads and so we're at the point where if you wonder if we've talked about your squad we probably have at this point so go ahead and check out our social medias at playmakers corner facebook instagram twitter uh to see which episodes have been posted and then go ahead and give us a follow uh slash subscribe on spotify Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, along with YouTube and Twitch. We'll be posting content there. Uh, We'll be live streaming once the season starts here, just to do film recap, or well, film recaps, but to do a weekly recaps on how the season went and all of that great fun stuff. So be on the lookout there. Go ahead and give us a follow there. And as always, thank you so much for rocking with us. And you know what? We'll see you Monday uh, for episode 193.